Dear colleagues and friends, welcome to The View from the Thorax Center for Radcliffe Cardiology. My name is Nicolas van Michem from the Erasmus Medical Center here in Rotterdam. And together with my good friend and colleague Joost Daman, we will preview what is coming as late-breaking trials at the upcoming ESC Congress in Amsterdam 2023. And maybe, um, uh, Joost, we can start off with a two-piece on ECMO, because two important trials will be presented uh, on ECMO. First is the ECLS shock trial uh, by Holger Thiele, and uh, Holger always comes up with uh, important randomized controlled trials. And this time he is uh, looking at 420 patients with cardiogenic shock in the context of ACS. Patients will be randomized to PCI in combination with ECLS, this ECMO, versus PCI without uh, ECMO. And then the primary endpoint is 30-day uh, mortality. Important exclusion criteria are patients who required CPR for at least 45 minutes, also mechanical complications mm. of infarctions like uh, ventricular septal ruptures and uh, mitral regurgitation are exclusions, and also severe per per peripheral arterial disease. I think uh, this is an important study. Absolutely. But you can always ask yourself, okay, but why would ECMO favor patients with uh, an ACS? Because you will increase the afterload, oh. you will increase myocardial oxygen consumption. At the same time, these patients are in shock. They do require some kind of mechanical support. So um, it's going to be an interesting one. And I'm not convinced yet that this will be a positive trial uh, because of the potential detrimental effects of um, ECMO and the afterload increase, but also typically in those trials, uh, out-of-hospital cardiac arrest is uh, a nasty thing and it will affect your uh, primary uh, outcome of mortality. Obviously, uh, if you have more patients with an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, I think by default your 30-day uh, mortality uh, will be high and how difficult that will be to affect it with mechanical circulatory support, that is one. The other one uh, I think is important is also the timing of the insertion exactly. of... Uh, of your ECMO, uh, will you wait longer? Then pro probably patients will be on a higher dose of vasopressors, mm. for instance. That might also affect the outcome. Um, I'm very interested. Also, it is important when you when you put a patient on ECMO is, okay, what is the venting strategy? Will you do a default yep. vent venting strategy? And what would that be? Would that be an impella? Or would that be a, a balloon pump? Very interesting questions. Uh, this is one of the potential highlights of the st uh, of ESC this year. Absolutely, yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, but again, a, it will be a complex study to digest because of all the parameters that will affect the endpoint. As you say, the timing will be of critical importance. The vending strategy, and also looking at a previous study from the Czech Republic, 60-70 percent event rates at uh, at 30 days. So there is potential statistically, uh, but we need to see what uh, what Holger yeah. Thiele will show us. Yeah, and by the way, this Czech trial was a negative study, Absolutely. right? So there was no yeah. benefit with of half the sample size. Yes. And no. But still, there was no, no. no signal even of no. benefit uh, no. for patients when they were put on uh, ECMO. No. Okay, we'll see. But uh, another important study uh, and the second piece of the mm -hmm. two-piece, if you will, on ECMO is early unload uh, study, also a German trial. Approximately 200 patients with cardiogenic shock will be randomized to either the use of ECMO in combination with a venting strategy, a default venting strategy of Impella versus ECMO as a standalone and then all, only venting uh, when it's clinically uh, indicated. The primary endpoint is again the death, all-cause death at 30 days 
Exclusion criteria, more or less similar. There is an exclusion for peripheral arterial disease. Uh, but again, out-of-hospital cardiac arrest was allowed. And uh, if patients were in shock for more than 12 hours, they were also included for the study. Again, it's going to be a very interesting uh, trial. Again, you want to know how many patients had an out-of-hospital cardiac mm. arrest. What was the vasopressor dose before entering the study? But I expect a negative study. And even I'm... I'm uh, curious whether we will not see a signal of harm because these patients will get two large bore arterial cannulas. One of the 19 French uh, of the ECMO and the other one is a 14 French of the Impella. So yeah. will there be a bleeding or a vascular complication uh, issue? That's, a, that's an open question. Yeah. Um, let's see whether that becomes a, 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 a positive study. And at the same time, I think this is also a missed opportunity because we're all familiar with using venting strategies, but the discussion on whether a balloon pump would suffice or whether you immediately need to escalate to an impeller, that hasn't been solved in my opinion. Absolutely. So ideally we would have had a three-arm study, one venting strategy with the impeller, the other one with venting with a balloon pump and then a control arm without any venting. Let's see what, uh, what's coming up there. And then there is another study uh, in patients who had an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Tiffany Patterson will present the arrest trial. This is uh, a study from the UK, a very ambitious project, where they were aiming for 860 patients with an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and, and return of spontaneous circulation. And then patients were randomized to either transfer to the closest by yep. hospital or transfer to a hospital with all the facilities, yep. including perfusion for to put patients on ECLS and so on. The primary endpoint, again, death at 30 days. This is another study where um, I have a hard time uh, accepting that this will become a positive trial. Uh, again, mortality rate and, uh, of these patients is high by default. Um, and I'm even wondering whether they will be able to collect 860 patients in this trial. So yeah. we'll see what uh, yeah, happens there. Conceptually, big trial, uh, interesting. But to me, what is the, the, the greatest challenge of this trial is that it actually tries to address two questions, right? One is early ECMO, mm. and the other one yeah. is um, yeah, logistical uh, uh, influences of transferring patients to uh, specialty sites for shock versus mm. local sites. So that, to me, is always, uh, yeah. at least uh, scientifically, a... Uh, yeah, a challenge. Yeah, and you raise an important matter. Right? So the logistics around an ECLS program yeah. and what is the time delay in a, in a receiving yeah. hospital yeah. between yeah. accepting the patients and then having ECLS in the patient. Mm. So the yeah. time to the circulatory two support. will for sure uh, interact and, yeah. uh, and will impact the outcome uh, in whatever way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's switch gears now and talk about intravascular imaging and coronary intervention. Yeah, so for those who are uh, a fan of intravascular imaging and physiology, ESC this year will be a must-go meeting. Uh, there is a wealth of trials that will be presented on intracoronary imaging and physiology. Uh, some have even called it the OCT firestorm, which is upcoming. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure, but uh, what we will do is to uh, is to give you a little bit of uh, a glimpse into what is to be expected uh, in Amsterdam this year in terms of imaging and physiology. First uh, trial that will be, be will be presented is the Guide DES trial, a uh, randomized controlled trial designed to assess uh, what are clinical outcomes 
will differ between a QCA-guided uh, PCI strategy versus a IVIS-guided PCI-based strategy in patients undergoing PCI with drug-eluting stents. Again, a Korean trial, 1,500 patients uh, that can be enrolled with either stable angina or acute coronary syndrome. Primary endpoint target lesion failure at one year. Uh, the trial has a non-inferiority design. Uh, investigators estimated a 8% uh, target lesion failure rate uh, with a non-inferiority margin of 3.5%. So with these numbers, I think it's very likely that the, uh, the investigators will demonstrate non-inferiority. Um, that said, uh, the trial focuses a little bit on the concept that IVIS is still underused, is, is perceived to be uh, more expensive and needs specific expertise, whereas QCA could theoretically be more uh, readily available and is for sure a lot cheaper. Uh, that said, I don't think the trial will make a big difference into our uh, guidelines and, and, and clinical practice. I mean, we have a strong body of evidence supporting that IVIS-guided PCI is better irrespective of the use of post-dilatation or not, as we've learned uh, two years ago. And with that, uh, I do believe in the concept of QCA, but uh, I'm not sure it will beat, uh, beat IVIS. And, and uh, what about the non-inferiority design? Is this what we are needing? Do, don't we need a superiority study? Because how do you want to change the practice here? Well, the concept of the investigators is that we know IVIS-guided PCI is better than eyeballing. Right? That, is, that, that has always been the competitor. In this case, the investigators argue that with QCA you can be more precise in stand sizing, uh, so you tackle half of the potential IVIS benefit. For post-PCI, you obviously can use QCA to measure a minimal lumen diameter. Please recall, this is a 2D technology if used in a 2D way, which will be the case in this trial. So there you miss a lot of the opportunity of the post-PCI optimization, uh, addressing under expansion and so on. So from that perspective, I do believe you can make a small benefit with QCA, but it will not be on par with IVIS. But in a trial like this, remember Renovate. Mm -hmm. Target lesion failure rate in Renovate was 8% at three years. Here they estimated in the IVIS arm it would be 8% in one year, which is a very ambitious event rate. So I would guess that the final event rates in the trial will be lower. And with that, a non-inferiority margin of 3.5% will be uh, difficult to make. Because they're not targeting the more complex lesions. They're targeting this any lesion. any. Yes, yeah, stable yeah. and unstable. Yeah. So this is not complex PCI. It's 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 a more calmer design, so yeah. to say. And and so I also want to bring this to uh, to the audience that we are uh, conducting and finalizing the inclusions yeah. of the Chip Ivis randomized control trial, where we are uh, randomizing patients to either Ivis guided or mm. angio guided uh, PCI of complex uh, coronary yeah. uh, lesions, yeah. uh, and that hopefully will be presented uh, next year. All right, Illumion 4. Illumion 4 is highly uh, anticipated. Highly anticipated. So the big randomized control trial uh, comparing OCT-guided PCI versus angiography-based PCI in a large sample of 3,500 or up to 3,500 patients that will be enrolled in 80 sites across the globe. Mm. Uh, enrollment has been ongoing since 2018, uh, trying to address a primary endpoint, uh, co-primary endpoint, I should say, of uh, post-PCI minimal stand area and um, target vessel failure rate at uh, two years. Um, so the trial to me is very important because following eight to nine randomized controlled trials showing the superiority of IVIS, the evidence for OCT as a single entity remains a little bit behind. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and with this, this trial has the potential to saddle the, uh, the role of OCT as the uh, equivalent option to, uh, to, to IVIS for patients in this trial specifically with either diabetes or more complex anatomy. Mm -hmm. So that is something, this is not real world, it's a trial in which patients are selected based on a high risk for repeat procedures, being either having diabetes or complex lesions, long lesions, bifurcation, CTOs, etc. And that makes a lot of sense, I think, because that, that is where you can ex that's expect That's where you expect the benefit benefits, from, the, yeah. uh, from the imaging. That is uh, absolutely true. That's also why the first, all the first IVIS trials were also performed in more complex uh, anatomical uh, patient subsets. Um, so I look out for a very interesting uh, presentation uh, in which I will also have a specific eye on, on the impact of the specific stand sizing protocol. So that in Illumion was, was so to say groundbreaking. You need to stand based on the media, no longer on the lumen. Uh, specific guidelines for stand optimization, looking at the edges, positioning distal stands. Uh, post dilatation quite aggressively and so on and it will be interesting to see how that will impact also complication rates procedure times etc well and, but there is an elephant in the room here and that is how many OCT runs will you will you do in, a, in one patient in one single patient because mind you every OCT run will require contrast absolutely and and so from a from a contrast exposure, radiation exposure, uh, yeah. that's also something that we have to bear in mind when, yeah. we, when we are using OCT. And that yeah. might or may or may not be a potential benefit of IVIS over OCT. But there are also uh, studies comparing uh, IVIS and OCT that will be yeah. presented. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get to that in a second. Mm -hmm. uh, first, second big trial on uh, OCT-guided PCI is October. Mm -hmm. Also a trial that started in 2018 comparing OCT-guided PCI versus angiography-guided PCI in patients with bifurcation lesions. Uh, trial run by, uh, by Niels Holm, uh, 1,200 patients, 60 sites across Europe. Uh, presenting either with stable angina or uh, stabilized acute coronary syndrome. Multiple bifurcation standing strategies were allowed, so provisional only, but then uh, two-stand strategy was allowed. But was it was very important that in the OCT-guided arm, uh, runs needed to be performed to check the position of the wire, to verify that you took the distal strut in order to sure. rewire the bifurcation, uh, look for amella position, uh, stand positioning, etc. Trial have a two-year endpoint of uh, cardiac death, target lesion MI, and target le lesion revascularization. Uh, so to me, an interesting trial. Um, I'm not so sure this trial per definition will be positive. What I do think is that this trial in 1,200 patients will teach us a lot on the impact of specific types of bifurcation standing strategies. Because my personal belief is that it's not about the technique you choose, so it's de-standing, culotte, it's DK crotch or whatsoever. It's more about the fact that if you use two stands, you need to make sure that the stands are well opposed, that you did admit the ostium and so on and so on. That's where imaging in general can make a huge difference. And that's where I hope we will learn a lot from, uh, from October with respect to bifurcation standing strategies and so on. But if they're looking for that kind of granularity, for instance, also looking at the strut that you are uh, that you're uh, using to cross into the yeah. side branch, how many OCT runs are they looking at? But that's, that's exactly the, uh, the elephant in the room, as you would say, for this trial, because it is to be expected in what percentage of patients the operators actually reacted. First, recognized the fact that the wire was in the wrong strut. Second, 
how oftentimes they reacted to the wire being in the in the in the wrong strut and and rewiring taking a more uh, distal mm -hmm. strut how often uh, that impacted the post dilatation strategy the effect of the post dilatation so there's a lot of factors that need to be taken into account when interpreting the results of this trial yeah. but that said i think uh, it has the potential to be a, a from a mechanistic perspective uh, for sure very interesting mm. and one thing we didn't mention uh, in how often in how many percent of the how much percent of the cases in the OCT arm, a OCT of the side branch actually uh, allowed to withdraw from a two-stand strategy. And that is also something that, uh, that could result perhaps even less two stands in the OCT arm. But that's all yeah, we'll guessing, see. we'll yeah. see. And you know what also will drive the clinical reproducibility and the adoption is the number of runs yeah. per patient, then Again. the overall volume and also the procedure duration. Because mm. if it adds half an hour yeah. to the procedure, yeah. I think uh, we will struggle to get this adopted in our practice. Yeah, but again, we, uh, we also were looking at comparing yeah. OCT with IVIS. Yeah, so comparing OCT versus IVIS, so that's in every IVIS course we do a hot topic. When do I use IVIS? When do I use OCT? Uh, in that perspective, again, uh, the Koreans uh, designed the uh, OCT-IVIS trial, which is the uh, fourth big trial to be expected on imaging at ECT, ESC. 2,000 patients uh, randomized one-to-one -to, -one to either IVIS or OCT-guided PCI. Uh, eligibility with stable angina, but also ACS. The investigators uh, hypothesized that there was a non-inferiority between both strategies in terms of a primary endpoint of a target vessel failure at one year. Again, the sample size, uh, assuming 8%, in this case, a non-inferiority margin of 3.1%. So again, same story as with uh, with uh, guide deaths. I expect no uh, significant difference. But recall Renovate, uh, a trial in which imaging was compared to ANJO, 75% IVs used, 25% OCT, no significant heterogeneity, but results of potential differences between IVs and OCT have not been released yet. Um, in this trial, uh, we will see if there is a difference. Uh, we learned from Renovate that there was a slightly higher percentage of optimal PCI in the OCT-guided arm, but again, OCT definitions versus IVIS definitions. Mm -hmm. So comparing apples versus oranges, I do believe both technologies have their merits, but uh, I don't expect uh, huge differences between the two in this trial, but we'll see. Uh, exciting, exciting, and uh, also in terms of patient selection, uh, what would happen if, uh, what is for instance their exclusion criteria in terms of kidney disease? No. What is their cutoff? Uh, because that also obviously will uh, will determine your choice in clinical no. practice. Absolutely. Whether you would aim for an IVUS Absolutely. or an OCT, and also no. where wh what kind of lesions are we talking about? No. Is it an osteo left main? No. Is it a, is it an osteo right? Mm. That also determines the choice of technique that Absolutely. you want to use. So I think this is going to be a very intriguing study, and I think uh, collectively all these trials mm. on uh, intravascular imaging. Are, will become highly relevant for our practice. But there's also physiology-guided PCI. Yeah, so this is the final trial uh, that we would like to highlight in this topic. So FIRE is a randomized controlled trial comparing physiology-guided PCI to angio-guided PCI in elderly patients presenting with STEMI. Simone Biscaglia will present the results. Uh, patients needed to be 75 years or older, and the hypothesis is that complete revascularization is likely more beneficial in younger patients as compared to older patients. Please recall, both in complete versus in biofask, there was no heterogeneity with the cutoff at 65. This trial looks at the cutoff of 75. 1,400 patients, primary endpoint, uh, patient-oriented, including stroke at one year. Um, interesting concept, we'll see. Um, 
my issue with this trial that is again that we are mixing different concepts first complete revesc versus staged or occupered only second uh, the use of physiology is considered best in class for STEMI patients versus angio well that has not been proven yet so a lot of items that may impact the uh, the results in this trial plus the fact again also a little bit like in biovask is that we're mixing STEMI and non-STEMI so we'll see but um, I think uh, definitely something to look out for yeah my bet is that it's going to be a negative study so I tend uh, to I tend to agree but let's see We'll see. Yeah, and then finally, following all these data, uh, Greg Stone will present a meta-analysis on all IVIS and OCT trials. Mm. So obviously with the Lumion, with, with Octavius, a lot of additional data to add. Uh, we'll see, usually there's a reason that people uh, pull data and, and want to strengthen the message or even put the specific message more in perspective. We'll see, uh, August 27, early in the morning, the mm -hmm. results will be presented. And also interesting final trial I wanted to highlight is a meta-analysis of Define Flare and uh, IFR Sweetheart at five years. You would wonder why is this important? Well, the reason this could be interesting is that there was a uh, potential, or not a potential, there was a significant increased mortality risk in uh, Define Flare at five years in favor of the FFR arm. So higher mortality rates in the IFR arm, mm -hmm. uh, which was not statistically proven in sweetheart um, in this case the results will be pulled so uh, hopefully that will put the mortality issue a little bit in uh, in perspective okay good then uh, let's uh, switch gears again and now a heart fa failure study the heart fit that mm -hmm. randomized controlled trial is looking at the impact of IV iron therapy yeah. uh, in over 3,000 patients with HEFREF mm -hmm. uh, and obviously symptoms um, the the strategy is quite interesting. So basically patients will receive two doses of IV iron mm -hmm. with uh, one week in between. And then after six months, the, the therapy can Recheck. be repeated um, depending on the iron status of the patient. So patients need to, be, uh, have I need to have iron deficiency, but not anemic. They should not be anemic. Well, I was all, I, I'm a big believer in IV iron therapy in, in the context of heart failure uh, and definitely in HEF-REF patients. But uh, obviously we had uh, the Ironman trial that was uh, presented last year at AHA. Yeah. Uh, this trial from the UK, smaller trial, uh, only 1,100 patients, failed its primary yeah. composite endpoint of cardiovascular death and heart failure hospitalizations. But it just failed uh, its endpoint. And that also had something to do with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic so um, I, I my gut feeling tells me that this is going to become a clearly positive trial and that this trial hopefully will help uh, shape the, the guidelines further yeah then I also would like to highlight stop dep 3 this is uh, a Japanese trial that yeah. is looking at uh, the value of further trimming down the antithrombotic regime uh, after PCI. Patients will be randomized to either Prazoguel monotherapy for one month and then switching after one month to clopidogrel monotherapy versus a control arm of DAPT, Prazoguel and aspirin for one month and then followed by aspirin monotherapy uh, for the remainder of the year. 6,000 patients were, uh, will be randomized and these are high bleeding risk patients. So I still uh, have a, an issue with uh, this focus on high bleeding risk patients because as far as I know, there are no hard uh, penalties for reducing the antithrombotic regimes. If you look at the high bleeding risk trials that we've seen so far, there is no 
penalty of more thromboembolic events. So why would we not uh, look uh, into these trimmed down regimes in all comers? Anyway, this is the topic of another randomized controlled trial that is currently ongoing also here in Rotterdam uh, with Valeria Paradias, where we are looking into, uh, this is the compare STEMI-1 trial, where patients are randomized after one month to either DAPT for one month and then monotherapy or yep. DAPT for one year. So this is something similar, but that is more an all-commerce uh, STEMI uh, patient population. The safety outcome is major bleeding at one, month, uh, at one month, and the cardiovascular outcome at one month is a composite of cardiovascular death, MI, stroke, and definite strength thrombosis. So do we really need DAPT from the get-go? I'm also a believer that we might, might be able to drop the aspirin, and this will be the first trial uh, to look into that uh, question. Secondary endpoints will uh, go out to one year. Uh, it is a Japanese trial, so the extrapolation to the Western population may be limited, but I think this set the stage for another larger trial also in uh, a Western community. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of trials on the topic in the, in the, in the past years, uh, different mixtures of different regimes of combining uh, clopi with aspirin, Prasgra versus aspirin, aspirin mm -hmm. only, clopi only, mm -hmm. Prasgra only, Tika only. There's, there's numerous variants on the, on the topic, uh, as you say, Asian study, different bleeding profiles. These patients typically have a higher risk of, uh, of stroke, lower risk of amias compared to the Western population, which is yeah. conversely, but we'll see. Uh, I think it's a big trial with, uh, yeah, which will have some impact. Yeah. And another interesting study from our perspective, at least, is the Multistars AMI trial. Uh, Barbara Steli will present this uh, trial on 840 patients with STEMI and multivessel coronary artery disease. Patients will be randomized to an ad hoc complete revascularization or a staged complete revascularization strategy. And obviously, you will remind the BioVest trial that we presented and published earlier this year uh, in The Lancet. That was a randomized controlled study basically looking at the exact same treatment strategy, but then in the context of ACS, combining uh, patients with STEMI and non-STEMI. And in that particular trial, 40% of the patients had a STEMI. So um, we were talking about 660 patients with STEMI in BioVasc. BioVasc was not powered for the single indication of STEMI. Uh, uh, this multi-stars AMI trial, a little bit larger trial, 840, only uh, STEMI patients. We'll see how it will compare to, to BioVasc, but um, we found that uh, a ad hoc complete revascularization reduced um, MI and unplanned revascularization rate versus a staged procedure. Mm. Let's, let's, uh, let's see what uh, the multi-stars AMI yep. uh, trial will show. I foresee another meta-analysis. <laughs> that, that might definitely be the case. And if this uh, trial oh. also points in that same direction, exactly. that also might uh, help uh, yeah. further shape the guidelines, right? Yeah. Okay, and then to, uh, to finalize the Notion trial, this is uh, a trial uh, on Tavi, <coughs> at, least, at least one trial on Tavi that we wanted to highlight. Yeah. Uh, Notion uh, is obviously a study that has been going on for quite some time, and we will now see, I guess, the 10-year and final follow-up yeah. of this patient uh, population. The, these were supposedly low-risk patients, but still the mean mm. age at study entry was 79 years old. Their SDS score was 3.0. Mm. So I would call this a more intermediate risk patient population. And patients were randomized to either TAVI with a early generation core yeah. valve device 
or uh, surgery. We already know that at eight years there was no difference whatsoever in terms of mortality and stroke or MI no. between the two treatment strategies, uh, but there was a clear um, uh, superiority of TAVI versus surgery in terms of structural valve degeneration. It didn't translate no. into more events, but that might change at 10 years. So at one point, yeah. you might expect that structural valve degeneration will also result in bioprosthetic valve failure and yeah. re-interventions. It wasn't uh, clear at eight years, but maybe we will start to see a signal at 10 years. And then this becomes very interesting because Absolutely. this trial is underpowered. But if this will hint towards um, better durability in favor of TAVI over surgery, then this will be uh, ground-changing. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, we will also need the 10-year outcomes of the low-risk trials that will add mon many more patients yeah. uh, at 10 <coughs> years with 10-year follow-up echoes coming from the Partner 3 and the Evolute Low Risk. But at least this trial will set the stage. Yep. All right, with that, uh, I think we highlighted the most interesting trials from our point of view. Um, will you be there in Amsterdam? Absolutely. Me too. So we hope to see you there. And uh, if you would not attend, no worries. We will come with a wrap-up after the, after the event. Thank you for Thank joining you. us. Bye-bye.